We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello, and welcome back to Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you are here with Megan Gower, and today it is just going to be me, just me on the podcast. We, we're going to take the week off for the Thanksgiving holiday. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. But it has been a crazy week in NCAA women's basketball, so figured that we needed to get an episode in here to at least talk a little bit about everything that's gone on over the last few days in the college basketball world. So here we are. I'm going to call this a mini episode. We'll see how how many it is when we get to the end, but going to talk just about all of the big upsets, big games that we've seen over the last week or so. Of course, lots of big matchups just on the schedule for this week to begin with. We had number one, South Carolina at number two, Stanford on Sunday. South Carolina gets the win there in overtime. So those two teams stay number one and number two in the country as we headed into this week. We also had a top 10 matchup in Connecticut with number five, UConn taking on number 10, NC State. UConn coming away with a convincing win in that one. And then also number 19, Maryland down at number 17, Baylor. Maryland gets the win there. Um, some other great ranked matchups too. We had, you know, number 25, Utah knocking, knocking off number 16, Oklahoma. Maybe not that big of an upset per se in terms of, you know, both teams were in the top 25. Should have been a good matchup, but the way in which Utah wins that 124 to 78 is certainly shocking. And then we get to the upsets. We had earlier this week, Kansas State, not ranked at the time, has snuck into the AP poll at 25 cents. Kansas State gets the win over Iowa at the time, the number four team in the country, knocks off the Hawkeyes. So Hawkeyes have taken their first loss of the season, an impressive performance from Kansas State there. Close game, 84 to 83 final. 
And then we head down to the Bahamas where the madness really gets going. The battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas. A great field, one that was definitely poised for some upsets, but I don't think anyone could have predicted the number of upsets we saw in that field. Just on day one, Marquette on rank takes down number three, Texas. Texas still without Rory Harmon, but still Marquette gets the win in that first game. And then Gonzaga gets the win over Louisville as well in overtime in the second game. So the bottom half of the bracket from day one becomes Texas and Louisville on the consolation side of the bracket. And then on day two, UCLA with a convincing upset win over Tennessee. They take down the Lady Vols 80-63. to So we get a Marquette-UCLA final in the battle for Atlantis. I don't think anyone had that in predicted. If you did, hats off to you because I, very unexpected final game there. But UCLA takes home the, the battle for Atlantis trophy. 66 to 58 ending game there in overtime. A great battle between two really tough defenses um, to, to, to take home the win for the Bruins. And then moving even around the, the bracket after that, the upsets didn't stop in those opening rounds. Tennessee also lost to Gonzaga in the tournament in the consolation side of the bracket. So they come home with just one win over Rutgers from the Bahamas and moved to just two and four on the season and then Louisville was able to get the win over Texas in that consolation game but they fall to South Dakota State in the third game of the tournament so they also dropped two games down in the Bahamas and Texas also drops two games only getting the win over Rutgers in the their last game there so they fall to two on three and as two and three on the season as well so Texas and Tennessee two teams that were ranked in the top five to start the season now under 500, both have fallen in the rankings, uh, Texas down at 19, Tennessee down at 23. And those those rankings came out before the, the Tennessee loss to Gonzaga. So another hit to Tennessee, probably we will see them fall out of the top 25 next week. So just a, a really rough start to the season for Tennessee. Obviously, just a quick recap, but just a lot going on in NCAA women's basketball, lots of top 10 losses, lots of upsets. So we've seen that so much over the past few days that I just went on Twitter and asked all of you what you would want to hear about, what questions you had about what we've seen from these upsets and what we think about some of the top teams in the country now that we've seen all of this action over the last week. So I'm going to go through just some of those questions on this podcast, talk about my thoughts on that, and then we'll go back to our, our normally scheduled programming with guests and everything next week. So first question off of Twitter, what upsets surprised me the most? I'm going to, I'm going to go with two answers here. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and not just give one answer, but I think the one on the, the team that was causing the upsets that surprised me the most was Marquette's run to the battle for Atlanta's final. Like I said, they fall to UCLA in that title game, but a team that coming into this field, probably not a team anyone was circling as a team to expect in the title game to even possibly win that first round matchup with Texas. But Marquette really impressed in this tournament. They kind of returned three core starters, Jordan King being the one that scored the most points in that big Texas game. But they just really excelled in this tournament. And I think they passed the eye test. That was the biggest thing as well. They didn't quite make it into the top 25 
this week from their run. They were right outside in that receiving boats section. I don't know if they'll slip in there next week with the loss to UCLA, but I think the way they played against UCLA, it was a competitive game, went to overtime. This team looks like a top 25 team and a team that might make it into the top 25. So a really impressive run in the Bahamas for Marquette and definitely one that surprised me. On the flip side, the upside that has surprised me the most on the team that has failed to win games would be Tennessee. I don't know that Tennessee's loss to Gonzaga or UCLA in the Bahamas is either one is that surprising, maybe the manner in which they lost to UCLA, where UCLA beat them by 17 points is surprising. But I think more in general, just uh, this is a Tennessee team I was high on coming into the season. I think a lot of people really thought this is, is this the year that Tennessee goes back to the final four? Are they a national contender? And we've just seen them have a really disastrous start to their season. I mean, kudos to Kelly Harper for playing a tough schedule because I'm sure there's other teams in the top 25 right now. Maybe one that's in the, you know, the conference that Tennessee's in that hasn't played anyone tough so far that might have the same record had they actually played the schedule Tennessee has played. But just to not get the win in any of these kind of bigger matchups that they've had is is shocking and just not a good start for the Lady Balls. I mean, we saw obviously a couple of weeks ago the loss to Ohio State, then the loss to Indiana, and then to go down to the Bahamas and not be able to beat anyone other than Rutgers. They were close. They were at least competitive in that game with Gonzaga, but still couldn't get that win over Gonzaga. I think it's just a really rough start for them to not be able to pull out a win over any of the teams that you're kind of talking about in that top 25, top 30 grouping that they've played so far this season. So like I said, now they're at two and four on the year. Their only wins over UMass and Rutgers. They, if they don't fall out of the top 25 next week, I would be absolutely shocked. So I honestly don't know what the record is for how fast the team has gone from a top five team to not even in the rankings, but I'm going to go with that. This Tennessee team is probably, probably going to set that. Um, so just a really quick downfall for this team that has a lot of talent, but clearly just has not been able to put it together to start the season. It'll be interesting to see if they can right the ship and, and get some things going and learn from these losses but I think now that we've seen kind of four losses like this things have not been corrected and they've they've definitely got some work to do to figure out how this team is even going to contend I think in the SEC at this point let alone talking about a final four fight team I just I, from what we've seen I just can't imagine that we're actually going to be talking about Tennessee in that right right now right now they don't even look like a top 25 team let alone a final four squad all right, next question is, what's the team that has fallen out of the top 10 that you think will play their way back in? I'm going with Texas here, which maybe sounds surprising considering they've already lost three games, really just a rough start to the season for them, but they haven't had Rory Harmon. And while I think one player does not fix everything that's going wrong for Texas right now, their offense has not looked good, the turnovers have been a problem, the defensive intensity isn't there. I think Rory Hillerman answers a lot of those questions for them. I think one of the toughest positions to not have the person you're expecting to have at is the point guard position, and that's where Rory Harmon plays for them. And I think some of those turnover issues and the offensive issues will look a lot better once they just have Rory Harmon on the floor. 
they've really struggled to score the basketball. Sonia Morris has been doing well for them in that, but they need someone to kind of go alongside with her, and Harmon's definitely capable of doing that. And the thing that keeps standing out to me here is what Vic Schaefer said after the loss to UConn, where you know Harmon is, one, the defensive heartbeat of their team, so they haven't had that on the floor. And then, two, that they have a lot of new pieces, a lot of transfers. They don't know the Texas system that well, and he's struggling to get his team to do what he wants them to do. We're having Harmon, who's been there, has played under Vic Schaefer for already a year, would fix that problem in a lot of ways because he'd have her in that point guard role. So while I think maybe the number three ranking to start the season for Texas was too high, I do think they can get back to that top 10 once they get Harmon back and get the pieces clicking together. The other thing that for me is going to make this team probably get back to a top 10 team is we haven't really seen that intense defensive presence from this Texas team in their early losses here, but it's a Vic Schaefer coach team. They're going to get Roy Harmon back. She's going to bring that energy and uh, there's not very many big for teams that don't play good defense. So I do think they're going to iron out at least that part, even if the offense comes to use to struggle a little bit. So I do think we'll see this Texas team back in the top 10 before we get to the end of the season. This next one. So how many of the upsets do we think have to do with the transfers, the number of transfers that we've seen or the continuity or lack thereof continuity across a lot of these teams? I think um, uh, other people have articulated this better than I'm going to, but Juno Arayama had a good comment following the, the win that UConn had over NC State this weekend about how the transfer portal has changed a lot of these top programs. You're bringing in a lot of these new pieces, and it takes a while to get that together. It's not affecting your out of 25 to 30-ish ranked teams that mid-major type teams that have their players, have that experience. They have the same squad that they're bringing back. And that means those teams are maybe – don't have as much talent, per se, as some of these top teams, but they have a good team and a system in place and players that know how to play together. And I think that's a big piece of kind of why we're seeing a lot of these upsets, especially early on this year. You've had teams like Tennessee, teams like Texas that are relying so heavily on these great pieces that they brought in, but they maybe necessarily haven't figured out all how to play those pieces together and get all of those pieces working together yet at this point in the season where teams like Gonzaga, teams like South Dakota State have all these pieces and they've had them on their team year after year after year. So they have continuity and that's allowing them to just be very solid teams and to work together and to be able to pull off these upsets because the team is knows what they're doing out on the floor together. All right, so a couple of questions on what does the top look right right now? We've got the best three teams other who are the best three teams other than South Carolina, who's the last number one seed? That's a little bit of a different question because when you talk seeding, I think it's a little bit different than who are the top four teams in the country. But uh, the general sentiment seems to be, what does the top four actually look like right now? I think, obviously, South Carolina getting that win over Stanford, reigning number one team, reigning national champion, that is the number one team in the country right now. So I think Stanford is a close second. They did get the lo- or take the loss to South Carolina on Sunday. But, again, a game that went into overtime was close all the way through. 
Stanford was able to hang, hang right around with South Carolina throughout that game. So I think that's a pretty clear one-two at this point until someone shows us otherwise. If someone goes into one of those two places and upsets one of those teams, I think maybe then we raise some questions. But for now, to me, South Carolina and Stanford, very clear, number one, number two. They're passing the eye test. They're the top two teams in the country. Number three, I actually think the AP poll has this right. And now think number three – for me, at least right now, is UConn because we, when you lo start looking past UConn, I don't know how proven any of these teams are. I'm not saying that one of them can't be better than UConn, but we've seen UConn play two top 10 matchups. Obviously, that Texas matchup without Rory Harmon and what we've seen happen to Texas over the last week maybe doesn't carry as much weight. But NC State, still a good team. And then the way that UConn beat NC State, not just that they beat them, but they came out, beat them by over 20 points. They just passed the eye test again, like I said, with South Carolina and with Stanford. The eye test makes this UConn team look good, and then they look good while they're still missing some pieces they expect to get back as well. They didn't have Dorka Juhas, their center, in the in that NC State game. Caroline Ducharme is still limited for them. So a team that has some pieces that are coming back still but is passing the eye test, and I think until we see some of these other kind of four through 10 teams play some of the top competition and really get tested. I think for me, I'm going to go with that. UConn is the number three team. The number four spot is where I've got a big question mark right now. If you run through what's in the AP poll, four is Ohio state, five is Iowa state, six, Indiana, seven, Notre Dame, eight, North Carolina. I'm skipping over. Uh, nine and ten because that's that's Iowa and Louisville and I don't think that neither of those are the number four team in the country. Um, and then eleven Virginia Tech. I think it's probably one of those teams that's the fourth best team in the country, but we really haven't seen any of them tested that much yet. Ohio State and Indiana do have that win. Both have a win over Tennessee. I don't think that win looks as good as it maybe did a week ago when you're now looking at Tennessee saying this. I don't even think this is a top 25 team. It's a good win, but it's not a, oh, you're definitely in the number four team in the country type win. So I think we'll know more once we kind of get through this next weekend of Thanksgiving tournament and some of these other big non-conference matchups coming up and have seen these teams actually get tested a little bit and see where they're at and what they look like against other higher caliber competition. Um, to kind of address the seeding side of it, though, I do think that that last number one seed is probably coming from the ACC. Just still, even if Louisville is going to have a little bit of a down year, NC State just lost pretty badly to UConn, but you still have Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, North Carolina in that top group. So I kind of think just there's, even with those other two, if they're a little further down, they're still top 25 teams. That's a lot of top heavy talent in the ACC. So I think kind of whoever comes out of the ACC on top and gets some really big statement ACC wins is probably going to have the best strength of schedule to get that number four numbers or that fourth overall number one seed. All right. Our next question, who is still overrated when we look at the, the AP poll that we got this week after all of the chaos to me, three teams stand out one Tennessee, we've already hit on this one to be quick, but they should fall out anyway with that loss to Gonzaga, but this just does not look like a top 25 team to me right now. So I think they're going to have to come out of the AP poll next week. Iowa at number nine, 
Kansas State sneaks into the top 25 this week, so that looks like a better loss for Iowa. But I think in combination with them going to overtime with Drake, still a decent team, but, you know, top 30-ish team. And then the win over Belmont that they had this weekend was still pretty narrow win. And I just haven't seen anything from them that's making the step forward defensively for Iowa. So I don't think that this right now, at least, is a top 10 team. To me, just the way they've played, the kind of their last slate of competition that's more in that 25 to 30 range doesn't indicate a top 10 team to me. The other one for me is Maryland. This team, I know they just beat Baylor, but Baylor doesn't have Asia Blackwell. That's a huge part of what this Baylor team is supposed to be. They're, they moved up to, to number 14 in the poll after that win. That seemed like a getting giving too much credit for a narrow win over a team that just isn't the same without Asia Blackwell, and they just don't pass the eye test for me. So I think 14 is just way too high for Maryland right now. I don't think they're a top 15 team. All right. Next question. How many of these upsets have been due to a to great team performances versus an individual player balling out? Kind of on that notion of what we talked about, about how some of these teams just have so much continuity and that's allowing them to get upsets. I think a lot of the wins that we saw down in the Bahamas or even the Kansas State win are really just good team performances. There's a couple players, and I'm going to get to them in a second, that really did have standout performances, but it's no one's dropping in these games that we've seen, the upsets. No one's dropping 40 points or putting up 30 and 10. It's really been kind of a team effort that's been able to get them there. That said, I think there's a few players that kind of stood out down in the Bahamas as putting up big, big performances. Uh, Marquette in their win over Texas, Jordan King came up with 25 points. That was huge, especially against a Texas squad that was struggling to score. Having no answer for her 25 points was a big hit for them. UCLA in that 20-point win over, or 17-point win over Tennessee, Charisma Osborne, 23 points. UCLA, I think, impressed as a team in the Bahamas, but Charisma Osborne has definitely been kind of the player on that team that's the go-to as their senior and able to step up and make big plays time after time and a big reason of why they got the win. In the Bahamas, she was the, the tournament MVP as well. So I think she stood out as having really big performances. And then lastly, South Dakota State in their win over Louisville. Maya Selland, who's the reigning MVP from last year's WNIT, 25 points in that win. I think Selland just really exposed a lot of the questions that Louis, this Louisville team has in the post and was really just able to capitalize on their lack of depth there. So she, I think also had kind of a standout performance there. But like I said, I think a lot of really, honestly, great team performances more than big, huge standout games from any individual players. All right. Kind of on a similar note, of the top 10 teams, which freshman in those teams is going to have the biggest impact come March? So I'm going with a Stanford freshman here, and it is not Lauren Betts, the number one recruit in the country. I do think that Betts is going to play a big role for the Stanford team more and more as the season goes on. But the player for me that stands out right now for Stanford is kind of being such a big point as a freshman of where they're going to get to this season is Talana 
Lapolo. She is a true freshman point guard. They're playing her, starting her at the point. And I think that's a really tough position to be in as a freshman. I think she's done a decent job there so far. And she's sharing that role with Haley Jones. But it's a role, the point guard role, a role Stanford never really figured out last year. They're still struggling with it this year. 22 turnovers against South Carolina. That's a really big number of turnovers. Obviously, they were still able to hang around, lost the game in overtime, but were right there with South Carolina despite the 22 turnovers. So their talent is allowing them to still keep up with top competition, even with those question marks and the struggles in that spot. But I think the better Lapolo can be for this team, the better the Stanford team will be and the better the chance they have of getting to the final four when we get to March. Not a top 10 team, at least not at the moment. They're top 20 team, though. I wanted to just talk also here on UCLA's freshmen because they really surprised me and impressed me in the battle for Atlantis. They have obviously the top recruiting or the top recruiting class in the country. Uh, number two recruit Kiki Rice really impressed in the battle for Atlantis. She was named to the all tournament team. Gabriela Jaquez off the bench also really impressed me for UCLA. And I think this is a UCLA team that's just going to keep getting better because they are relying a lot on this freshman class, but they're gonna, the freshman class is just going to keep improving as the season goes on. They spend more time in the team. They spend more time in the college game. So I think definitely a team to keep an eye on this year because as those freshmen grow, this team is also going to get better. And I was very impressed by already where they're at, even though we're only in November. One last question and a personal favorite of mine because we get to talk about the Big East and their great start. But what does this first part of the season do for the Big East going forward? So the Big East has had a great start to this season. They've had six wins already over ranked opponents, more than any other conference in the country. And it's not just UConn either. UConn has two ranked wins, but Creighton has two great wins. Villanova has a ranked win. Marquette has a great ranked win. If Marquette moves into the, the AP Top 25, we could see four Big East teams in the AP Top 25, which I think is more than the conference has had in a long time. It's been a really good start for the Big East. And I think what also stands out to me about the Big East is that they've a lot of these teams have played tough schedules starting off. Even teams like Creighton, they've already played. They did the South Dakota road trip. So they played South Dakota State and South Dakota. They played Nebraska at home. They still have a road trip to Stanford coming up. So they've played a really tough schedule. And I think having that early season, the high level of play is only going to elevate the play when we get to the conference season. So I think... Yes, it's going to help RPI and net and things like that, those metrics, but I think more important is really just going to elevate the level of Big East play this season. And we're probably going to see more Big East teams in the tournament come March because of it. All right, that is all the questions I'm going to go through because I said mini episode and we're already at over 20 minutes. So, but we've got a lot of big matchups still coming this week. Obviously, Feast Week happening right now. Big tournaments this weekend over Thanksgiving. We've got both of the Phil Knight tournaments this first year. The women's side has had Phil Knight tournaments. So we've got the Phil Knight Legacy, the Phil Knight Invitational, the Gulf Coast Showcase down in Fort Myers as well should be a great one. We previewed all of those on last week's episode. So if you haven't listened to that, so you can skip through the Battle for Atlantis part and just make it to the, those other three tournaments. Those should be exciting. 
I'm sure that we're going to see a lot more upsets this week. So it should be, should be fun. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. As always, make sure you rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to or watching us. Also, be sure you're subscribed to the stats site, herhoopstats.com, and to our free newsletter on Substack. And be sure you're following us on social media at herhoopstats on all platforms. Thanks again for listening, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone.